Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Years ago, when I, especially back in the early days of the podcast, and when I would do interviews, I had this really common question that was asked all the time. And the question was, Karen, how do you get these guests? <laughs> it was like kind of like a big question. And I was always really confused because I said, well, I asked them <laughs> and I've talked about this on the show and I didn't quite understand. They'd say, okay, it's just as simple as that you ask. Well, yes and no. It's as simple as yes, you ask, but then what are all the things that were underneath it? What are all the things that allowed me to have the courage to be able to do those steps and ask and to be vulnerable and to put myself out there. That's what I had to unpack. And it took me a while. I'm not a quickest learner out there, but it took me a while to think about it because I was like, oh, it's really simple. You just ask. And it makes me think about when I interviewed Carol Dweck and Carol Dweck, for those of you who are new to my show, she's been on my show a number of times, but she did this most fantastic research that we've all been just kind of writing her coattails on called Mindset. And she's a Stanford professor, and she is the one that came up with growth mindset and fixed mindset. And her work is phenomenal and been life-changing for me. And I remember when I was interviewing Carol, I said to her, I'm like, okay, Carol, like, okay, how do we become more of a growth mindset? She goes, well, you just change your thought. I'm like, okay, I just changed my thought. I'm like, but I have this thought, like, and I was not willing at that time in my life to be vulnerable and say, well, Carol, I have this thought that I'm a loser from loser street. But what I've learned is there are steps. There's a framework that we have to help us do these things that we want to do. So I had a framework, I had a belief system that allowed me to ask and invite people to be on my show. I have a framework now to help my clients be able to cultivate more of a growth mindset, to be able to tell themselves the truth and believe better beliefs that are truthful versus often the lies that we tell ourselves, like the lie that I was telling myself, I'm a loser from loser street. So I'm going to go into what's underneath of how do you create the results that you want and what's underneath are the obstacles. And so for today's podcast, I came up with four really big obstacles for you achieving the results you want. And these come up all the time in my coaching sessions with my clients, this is what they tell me. And the thing is, is that you're going to be like, Oh, I have those same ones. They're pretty darn universal. So I have four today that I'm going to go through. So when we're going to do something, whether it's pursuing a goal, so it can be an athletic goal, it can be a professional goal. It can be, you know, dating, it can be a vulnerable goal. It can be making friends. Like maybe you find yourself in a new town because of COVID and you're like, oh, well, how do I make friends? Everybody else has their social network and what's the right way? Notice that what's the right way? Or maybe you're like, hey, I've bought your mindset journal, but what's the right way to use it? Like that's one of the obstacles that we're finding for those who've bought the journal. Like what's the right way? So I'm gonna talk about that. So here are the four. I don't know the right way. 
right? Number two is I'm doing it wrong. There is one right way and not the way that I'm doing it. (laughs) I'm laughing with you all because that one comes up for me too. I'm like, oh, but there's got to be a right way. (laughs) It's such a fixed mindset. Okay. Number three is it won't work for me. And number four is it's not possible for me. So let's go back to the first one. This belief of, I don't know the right way is a huge obstacle. It has gotten in the way of me knowing how to cook and learning to cook. It has got me in the way of me being a land sport, not animal, but a land sport athletes like, well, I don't know the right way, so I can't do it. Right. There is no one right way. That is what's really important for us all to remember. It's not that you don't know the right way. There's not one right way. And the other thing that we tell ourselves is there's one right way and not the way I'm doing it, which is not true. There's not one right way. That's a perfectionist belief. It's an ideal. And it may be like what you think of, I mean, there's been so much change, but in the standards of beauty and what beauty looked like. And I've talked about that, you know, growing up, I thought, oh, the beauty was blonde hair, blue eyes, right? There's so much beauty. The world of beauty is changing. Like we're opening our eyes that there's many different ways to be beautiful. And there's many different ways to have beauty and, and see beauty. So we want to get out of this perfectionist belief because remember, perfection is the birthplace of shame and shame is that horrible feeling that we all feel. And it tells us that voice of, see, you're not enough. It's not possible for you. You can't have that. You're bad. You're broken. And it's a burden that we live with when we pursue perfection and it creates this downward spiral, which often results in quitting on ourselves hating ourselves, or, and this is really important, doing it in a way that is not who you are, but you do it because you're supposed to. That is not sustainable, right? Because over time you may have white knuckled it and it may violate your values. And what happens is that you don't trust yourself. That's a huge cost. So remember, We want to get out of doing it in this perfectionate way or that there's only one way. The other thing about not knowing the right way is you can get into this mindset of like, well, there's absolutes, like there's a right way and there's a wrong way, right? And it's easy to create this one way process because it's easier for our minds to understand and to grasp. It's simple, right? And it's easy to get people to follow along. The problem with it though, is that it then can become a prison wall for you. So for instance, I had this coach who I really respect and adore and appreciate when I was in high school. And part of our training was we would swim 18,000 yards a day. And he was like, this is the one way to swim. And he would bring up all this evidence of why these weren't the other ways. They weren't good for us to develop as swimmers. That was his belief system. And it was, okay, we're going to get on this train and this is where we're going. That was great while we're in that system. But once we left, my coach, my collegiate coach didn't train that way. And so then it was like, well, I can't be fast and we're not going 18,000 yards a day. And what I had to unlearn was there's one way to swim fast and relearn. There's actually a thousand different ways to swim fast. And 
Not that I need to swim all different thousand ways, but what is the mixture? What are the ingredients that work for me within the structure that I'm a part of? So getting out of the absolutes is really, really important. Another example of this is that when I was starting to learn how to cook back in like 2013 and I would, you know, it's so funny because I've learned how to cook in the internet age. So very different than like my mom or so many other people who may be really into cookbooks. Like I Google it and I find a recipe. The problem is there are lots of ways to do one dish. And then my brain would say, but which one's the right one? I don't know. And I would get overwhelmed because there were so many different ways. And really I had to calm down and remind myself, there's not the one right way. It's not about doing it perfectly. Part of it was, what are the ingredients do I have at home to make this dish? What are the tools, the appliances? What's the method that I want to cook? Do I want to bake it? Do I want to do it on a frying pan? Do I want to do it on a barbecue? And pick one area that I wanted to practice in to get better at. So getting out of these absolutes are really important and not getting overwhelmed with the thousand different ways to cook a dish. So going back to when I interviewed Carol Dweck and, you know, and I had asked her about like, okay, Carol, like growth mindset, like I want to be a growth mindset. I don't want to be fixed. And of course, when I was reading her book the whole time, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm fixed. Oh my gosh, I'm fixed. And that's true and not true. There's arenas in my life where I can get really fixed mindset. And there's arenas in my life where I've always been or really have cultivated an arena of a growth mindset. This show here for you, it's a place where inspiration possibility meets. It's a growth mindset. I talk about falling down and getting back up. And then if I were to host a dinner party, I'm definitely going to be in more of a fixed mindset. Not going to be hosting a dinner party right now because we're in COVID, but you know, that is a great way because I can get into, I have to do it perfectly and to get myself to calm down is really important. So I remember asking her about like, well, Carol, how do you change your thoughts? And she goes, well, you just change them. <laughs> I'm like, I just changed them. That was kind of interesting. Like, how do I do that? So since that time, I've come up with a framework for my clients and you guys have heard me talk about it. Some mindset practice and we have a journal now and the journal I think of as it's a place for your mind. It's like a gym, right? You have a gym that you go work out in or a yoga studio that you go to, or maybe paths that you run or walk on, or maybe you have a Peloton, right? That's a space where you move your body. The journal is a place for your mind. It's the gym for your mind. And then the other thing that I created with that was a feelings menu. And the feelings menu is so important because so often to this day, I have to pretty much every day I'm asking my clients, so what are you feeling right now? And they're like, uh, and so I go, go to your feelings menu. And the reason a feelings menu is so fantastic is think about it. When you go to a restaurant and you order food, you want to know what it is that they make so you can ask for the options that they have in stock, right? And the feelings menu I have that you can download, there'll be a link in the show notes, but you can download and just get it in your inbox is it's a simplified version. There's so many feelings that we have out there. It can be really, really overwhelming. And so I came up with core feelings that my clients are going through on a day-to-day basis and either that they want to create and be more cultivate and live in, or that are really what they're feeling when they're in their struggles. So we have a feelings menu. So there's a journal and a feelings menu to help them connect what's going on in their brain with what are they feeling and be able to have those connections between the two, which is so, so important in cultivating a growth mindset in cultivating, seeing the possibilities for ourselves and being able to achieve the results that we want. 
So that's the framework. And then the other part of the mindset journal is I call it the mindset practice journal. And there's a reason for it is that we must practice doing something over and over again to get it so that's in our bones. So that's part of our way of being because we have behaviors, we have habits, we have ways of being that don't serve us that have been there and we think it's the way to do it. And so in order to create a new skill set, we must practice. When you learn to drive, you practiced, right? When I was learning to cook, I practiced and I practice over and over and over again. And there are some dishes now that I can make without having to refer to the recipe because I've been able to do it over time. So we want to practice to be able to create so that it's in our bones. And remember, if you're like, oh, but Corinne practice, but there's a yoga practice, right? It's an infinite. There's never this end point. Like you're always working on mastering and learning and growing. And something that's so important, I always talk about swimming, but it's been such a tremendous teacher in my life. Swimming, there's four strokes. There's four strokes. And if you think about some of our greatest swimmers of all time, then you go, oh, Michael Phelps and say, oh, well, I've mastered all four. So we need to create a fifth stroke. There are four strokes. There's constant practice. There's constant refining, right? And we go back and we challenge things and we overcome and there's ways of getting better. And sometimes it's, you know, as an athlete ages, it may be more the mental game of the sports. And we're seeing that with, whether it was with Michael Phelps or Tom Brady or Tiger Woods, you know, and the mindset of overcoming some of the physical limitations and the obstacles and how important that becomes that we may not have needed when we are younger. So practice over time is an important framework. And then what happens is that, remember that magic wand I was talking about? I always love to talk about the magic wand. I want the quick fixes. I'm right there with you. I'm like, can't this just go away? Can't somebody rescue me? Can't there be a magic wand, right? The more I can laugh with myself about it, the more that I'm not attached to this like fairy tale that's been programmed inside of me. But what happens is that as you practice this and gets in your bone, it actually becomes the magic wand right? It does become the magic wand, but it's yours. You start to see a lens. You see through a lens where you see things clearly. You're able to be, have more empathy and compassion, which is the antidote to shame. And it's so much more empowering. So when you practice, when you have a framework and you practice it over and over, it actually gives you the freedom that you would like to have. So I'm a big fan of structure and frameworks and, you know, practices because it actually allows for the freedom that we want, the peace. Instead of being reactive, we are proactive. And one thing I want to say is when you're practicing, yes, you want to do your best effort. And it's not about like, there's a lot of stuff out there, like perfect practice makes perfect effort or something like that. And I totally mulled that quote, but that's okay. Cause it's a really crappy quote, but Carol Dweck says it's about doing your best effort. And here's the thing. And this is really important. Some days your best effort may be a C minus and know that is passing. A couple weeks ago, I had this week where, man, I was hitting it out of the park. I was, you know, productive. I was coaching really well. And I, that's something that I really want to do consistently well is coach my clients really well. And I just was hitting it out of the ballpark. Let me stick with my analogies. 
And then the next week I came in and, you know, I still did a good job with my clients and I did other work, but I was dragging and I'm like, what is going on? And it was kind of like some of the stuff, my creativity was really low. I was really struggling in certain aspects of my work. And I'm like, what is going on? I did the best that I could. It wasn't that A plus that I had the week before, but I did the things that were really important. I got those done. Some of the stuff I didn't get done. So then that meant this week they were added to my list and that's okay. So Carol talks about some days you're doing your best effort and your best effort is going to look differently each week. I did the best effort I could and it was a C minus, which is still passing. It's not great. Don't usually like to get there, but this week has been much better. And that's what you want to do. We want to consistently over time, right? Do your best effort. All right. The next obstacle, the next belief is I'm doing it wrong. So here's the thing. There's not a right way or a wrong way. There may be a a legal or an illegal way. (laughs) And we're not talking about going the illegal way, but in the space of the, the right or the wrong or the legal or illegal or the all or nothing, there's a lot of options. And that's the area that we want to stay in. I don't want to be in the all or nothing thinking right? That really limits us. Life is not black and white. There's so many colors and so many shades of colors, right? Which can be overwhelming because too many choices is overwhelming. I get it. And we're making lots of decisions all day. And that's why we like black and white thinking because it simplifies and it helps us with our decision fatigue, but it limits us. We can't see the possibilities. And oftentimes when we can't see the possibilities, we then may try to power over and be like, you know, make it happen or go against our own values. And remember that whole not sustainable breaking trust with yourself. So that's what happens. Then the other thing about all or nothing is it's only two choices. So we don't want to go from only two choices to too many choices because that's overwhelming. Not enough choice to too many, right? It's like dictator, wild child. There's the space in between. And it must align with you, your life, your values, your priorities, right? You. And as I've gone through the different chapters of my life, those have changed because my husband works at the university and UC Davis is on the quarter system. I always think of my life in quarters because like every quarter, his teaching or coaching schedule will change. And so that might fluctuate. And so I think of my life and then because I was an an alumni there, I've been on this quarter system for a long time for like 30 years. So that's just kind of the, the way about our lives. And I think about that. So this quarter, what's the flow? And it's a nice way to, to think about it for you. It may be seasons. What's the season. And you may, you know, have a lot more energy or more space, or maybe because your kids are home in the summertime. So you may have less time when my kids were young and I was really bound by childcare and stuff. Those would be affecting factors. I'm in the stage of life now where especially on the weekends, I don't have a lot of constraint on my time. It's so fascinating, right? Like to have this kind of freedom that I've waited a really long time to have. I mean, my youngest is now 19. So it's really interesting. So going back to what are your values? What are your priorities? What works for you, right? And really being able to incorporate those choices along those lines that will give you a container and remembering there's not a right or wrong way. There's your way. So an example of how with the mindset practice is 
a lot of times my clients will, who will stop or not do the mindset work, the mindset journal, or people who buy the journals, we're finding out they're not doing anything because they're like, I'm doing it wrong. So here you go. If you have the mindset journal, if you want to know how to do your mindset, really simply, you want to write things down, write them down. It can be in the journal on a piece of paper. The reason I like the journal, it's a container for it. It's like, if you don't have a wallet, your money can go everywhere. But if you have a wallet, there's a place for it to go. You always have a place for things, right? Something Peter Walsh, the declutter guy taught me years ago, a place for things. Getting words on paper is so valuable for you. And it's effective because it helps you feel better. It's a step in creating space for you from what's going on in your brain, right? The stories and the thoughts that are swirling around, they're usually for me worse at like two in the morning, though I've gotten better training that. And they're swirling around your head and you write them down on paper. You look at them and you're like, oh, that's what I'm thinking right? That's not even true. For those of you who are verbal processors, like I get that. Like I would, in the, especially in the a long time ago, I would call myself a verbal processor because that's where I was as I was talking and getting out and telling somebody else who would hold that space for me. I would speak it. And as I'm saying it, it was like, oh my gosh, that's what's in my brain. Right. And I could be able to reframe. So that's another way. Maybe that's where you're at and that's okay. So figure out where you're at. But writing it down is so powerful. There's a University of Texas research researcher is a professor. And I think his book is called Write It Down. And I remember I asked him a few years ago, I said, so is it more important to write it down with your pen and paper, like handwritten or type it? And the fantastic news was he said, because again, I was looking for what's the right way, right? What's the better way? What's the most effective way? And he said, the research indicates there's no correlation between what's better or not. He said the most important thing to do is to write it down. And people were feeling better when they would write it down. And what they did was people would write, it was anonymous, and they would slide it underneath the office door and the TAs would get it. And just because they had somebody to turn it into, even though their name wasn't on it, the students started recognizing in the surveys, they felt better. So it really, really helps to write it down and you feel better. Oftentimes in our emails, in my emails to you, ask a question. And the reason for that is based on this research. When you write it down and you send it to somebody who's safe, you're owning that part of your story and you're able to see it and let it go. So give yourself space. If you're like, Karan, I try to write and I look at the paper and it's a blank paper and I have all this resistance. I get it. Go on a walk. If you can go without your phone and if you, you're like, Oh, that's too, I I can't leave my phone. Put your phone in your pocket, put it on silent or maybe turn off all notifications only if you have kids and you know, you want to make sure that you're able to be reached for your kid's school or whatever they may be doing, then set it, your phone can be set up that that's the only call that comes through. So give yourself space to hear yourself. Go on a walk and listen as hard to yourself as you want to be heard by others. And if that's still too much for you right now, that's okay. Remember, there's not a right way or wrong way. I talked about writing and why it's so valuable. You can walk and move. It can be while you're cleaning or vacuuming, right? Especially when you're doing things that you already have in your bones and you start to think and you connect. The reason to write it down or to talk to somebody who will hold that space for you, then you get it out of you and 
You've either given to somebody else by talking or you've written on a piece of paper. That's why it's so valuable. So next week's podcast, I'm going to be talking about how to schedule yourself. So when we talk about like the mindset, I'll talk about that. So make sure you listen to next week's podcast because we're going to be talking about that. All right. The next one is it won't work for me. So I want you to stop right now and think back to a time in your life when you thought something was impossible and yet you eventually achieved it. Think about that. What was something that you thought, oh my gosh, it's impossible. I'll never be able to do that. Maybe it was doing a yoga pose or being able to get your degree or pass a certification or tell somebody you love them. What was it that you thought was impossible, but you yet eventually achieved it? Instead of thinking that it won't work for you or it's not possible, I want you to think about What were the ingredients? What were the steps, the frameworks that allowed you to eventually achieve it, right? Oftentimes it's our willingness to fall down, our willingness to like put ourselves out there. Maybe we have an accountability partner, our willingness to totally fail and do it again. I remember (laughs) the it won't work for me really came up a lot when I was learning how to cook. And my friend Jimmy came over and taught me how to barbecue and taught me how to barbecue ribeye steaks. That was the first thing I learned how to barbecue. And so he did it. It was great. He was there. We ate it. It was delicious. Great. So then when I go to the grocery store, I go buy ribeye steaks. And I remember walking out to the grill with these ribeye steaks that I prepared and going, huh, this is an interesting thing. Like this is really expensive me. And this is what I'm going to go do by myself. Maybe hamburgers would have been a better option for me as a newbie. I'm like, well, here's what I'm committing to. Even if it's like charcoal, we're eating it (laughs) because I didn't want to waste the meat or the money. And fortunately, it wasn't charcoal. It may have been more well done than some of my family members like, but we ate it and it was fine. So I had to let go of it won't work for me to, and this is the wrong way instead of, well, I'm going to do this and we will eat it. to whatever degree. It will be cooked, probably overcooked because that's my tendency because I worry about food poisoning. So it won't work for you. Think about a time that you thought something was impossible, but yet you eventually achieved it. If you had told me 20 years ago that I would touch raw meat, I would say you're crazy. That's never happening. In fact, there was a time in my life I wouldn't even eat meat because I didn't want to deal with meat. So think about a time that was impossible and you eventually achieved it and remind yourself that. And then remind yourself that we're capable and we're built to learn, right? We're able to learn. Like that was the thing that when I was learning to cook, I was like, okay, I can learn. Who are the people that can teach me? Who are the people that won't judge me or mock me? Who are the people that will be supportive? And I've talked about that on this podcast. So we're capable and built to learn. And when we practice and we can be curious, we will experience growth. So we're going to learn what's working, what needs improvement. We always are going to need improvement and you're not going to know if this will actually work until you test it out. I talk about this all the time on the show. Experiment, have a hypothesis and then experiment, test it out over a duration of time. I'm not saying a one and done, 
Like if I had only done that ribeye steak that next time, and then my memory would have been like all that anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I picked the most expensive meat to do it all by myself, right? And I would say never again. And actually, I think I did continue with the ribeye because that was what I knew. And I wasn't brave enough to break out to others. And I just kept rereading the directions. I kept going over the, watching the videos. And I called my friend and I would talk to him on the phone. And I had a lot of handholding. And then I got better at it. And I barbecued some pretty darn good ribeyes. And actually, it's kind of not that hard. There was more drama in my head because of all these obstacles, like these beliefs that I had, right? But it took practice. And then the more practice I had, the more confidence I had, because I'm like, hey, I can do this. This isn't something that isn't for me. It won't work for me. So keep practicing. And when you practice, know like how long you're going to do it for right? When, and again, when I talk about the schedule next week, I'm going to talk about when you create a new schedule, how long to do it for. And you want to practice it and you're going to tweak it and attune it and refine it. And that's how you get it to work for you instead of believing it won't work for you. Keep showing up, my friend. All right. The final one is it's not possible for me. Now, first off, you're at the place where inspiration and possibility meet. (laughs) So that's not acceptable that it's not possible for you. So when I was putting this together, I thought about like all of my clients over the years and they all would come to me with, you know, different beliefs about in that reinforce. It's not possible for me. And I had the client who worked in biotech in the Pacific Northwest and she was like, Corinne, I can't be promoted. This is it. This is as good as it gets. I only have a BS. And if I want to get promoted, I have to go to grad school and I don't want to go to grad school. So this just really sucks and I'm doomed. She did get promoted (laughs) and she did make more money and she didn't go to grad school. So it was possible for her. Once we got overcame her belief that she needed that degree, the piece of paper to prove what she already could do for the companies. Another one is, oh, it's not possible for me to get hired at this company because they have a non-poaching agreement with my company. That client actually got hired and it all got approved. And yes, the top levels had to come together and have a meeting, which can be vulnerable. And, you know, but they said, yep, we will allow you to hire our person and we will waive our non-poaching agreement. Another, it's not possible for me, Corinne, because, you know, I've already been divorced and I can't create another marriage. Somebody's not going to love me. I can't tell you how often while I'm coaching a client, something that happened five, 10, 15 years ago is in the room with us and defining what is possible for them in the future. I'm like, but wait a second. You now have skills. You know how to communicate. You're clear, more clear about what you want. Why not you? Right? So another one is, well, I've always struggled with my weight, so it won't work for me. I have had people lose weight. It takes time. It's not the magic wand. And all of a sudden you've lost the hundred pounds like my clients have, but it is possible. And for some clients, it was about losing 20 pounds or 10 pounds, but they all had the same belief. It wasn't possible for them. And then when they overcame that belief and they practiced and they did the frameworks and they followed through and they fell down and, you know, sometimes there'd be weight gain, but they got the results that they wanted. They had to let go and overcome this obstacle of this believing it's not possible for me. Here's another one. Now money. I'm not good with money, so I can't have money. 
or the other one is I can't make more money. I can't tell you how many times clients have told me that. And then when I coach them on it, there's so much resistance. Like, ah, I don't want to talk about this. I don't like to talk about money. (laughs) And then I love it when there's that, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we've been doing this money mindset stuff, Corinne, because it's cleared the way and they've earned more money. They've created more wealth for themselves. So this isn't like, again, the fairy godmother, but it's about removing these obstacles that get in the way because how do you know it's not possible for you? right? How do you know? I had a story that I was a loser from loser street. My family, we had tremendous financial hardships, right? We didn't have this clear money mindset. We didn't have this affluence and this abundance that, you know, I understand now, but it was learnable. It was learnable and it's learnable for you. I can't lead this meeting. I don't have the right credentials. <laughs> I'm just an imposter. Who am I to lead this meeting? I'm constantly like, well, well why wouldn't you lead this meeting? <laughs> but I don't have the right title, right? Well, why wouldn't you? Or I can't lead this meeting because I think they're going to find out that they hired the wrong person. <laughs> I had this vet that I coached years ago who was struggling from the imposter syndrome. And I was like, well, so you trick them to hire you and you trick them to let you into the number one vet school in the world and you trick them to give you a diploma like if not you then who like along the way there were several people making the decision that you knew what you were doing and that's why you're here it's not because you know you tricked one person there were many steps along the way including her licensing board that allowed her to be a veterinarian right? So whether it's leading a meeting, you know, overcoming imposter syndrome for a profession that you're doing, it is possible for you. So those are all examples of clients that I've coached who originally didn't believe the result that they wanted was possible for them. And here's the question that I'm going to ask you. If those people, my clients can overcome what they thought were their obstacles, if it's possible for them, what is possible for you? Because here's the thing. None of them, not myself, none of the guests on my show are shiny unicorns. They're not the chosen ones, right? They're not the ones that like, oh, let's just roll out the red carpet and they walk down the road. They've overcome these obstacles. They found a way. So if this is possible for them, what is possible for you? Now, These four beliefs, these four beliefs that I've been calling obstacles are so small. And some of you may think, well, Corinne, I didn't even recognize that they were in my brain or I've said them, but I don't really pay much attention. They're not really disruptive. They're just kind of cobwebs in my brain. Here's the thing. While they may be simple, (laughs) don't let their simplicity minimize the disruption that they create in your life. They're very disruptive. They are big obstacles and you can overcome them by reminding yourself of your truth. So, and you don't need to write this down. We have a a download for you that you can get. So if you're walking, driving, just go back to the show notes, click the link and you'll get this. The belief of, I don't know the right way. You can reframe it to, there's more than one way to do something. I use that one all the time. Oh, that's right. There's more than one way to do something. Number two, I'm doing it wrong. Reframe it to, 
I am learning. That's going to open up your brain to be curious. Three, it won't work for me. And it can be, I don't know what the outcome is yet. I'm testing it out. Four, it's not possible for me. And you can remind yourself, I can do hard things. I have a sign in my kitchen that says that it's really important for me to remember for Christmas. My daughter gave me this bracelet where it's the beads are a reminder. I can do hard things, right? I need those reminders. It's so simple. And yet I forget. So I've spent over 14 years on the show sharing other people's stories. And here's the thing. If it's possible for these people and myself and my clients, my friend, what is possible for you? Why not you? Your brain may be saying that you don't know what the right way is, but we know that's not true because there's more than one way to do something. You're still learning and you don't know what the outcome is yet. You're testing it out and you can do hard things. So we have for you new beliefs for you to commit to, for when that voice in the back of your head says, hmm, what's the right way? I don't know the right way. I'm doing it wrong. It won't work for me. It's not possible for me. Go to the link in the show notes and download the new beliefs for you to commit to. In addition to the ones that I talked about on today's show, we have some bonus ones for you. These are great ones to help you anchor down and get yourself telling yourself the truth so you can achieve the results that you desire. I'm smiling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude and that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. She is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide.